0: This is Matt Britton, author of Youth Nation, Building Remarkable Brands in a Youth-Driven Culture, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine, Getting Cocktails.
1: Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host... Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on, they are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at Douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn, where we can chat. Matt Britton, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, first off, where are you?
0: Uh, I am here in beautiful Southampton, New York. Uh, I've been commuting back and forth between here and Brooklyn.
1: Okay. And Brooklyn is where uh, where your
0: business is? It's where I live. Our business is in Manhattan and Soho.
1: Okay, okay. Well, what's going on in your quarantine world?
0: Uh, We've been keeping real busy. Uh, My software company, Susie, has thankfully really thrived um, through this crisis in a remote environment. So uh, myself and our 80 employees have really been putting our heads down and continuing to build a world-class software company. That's really been my core focus.
1: Okay, super. Well, Matt, we haven't spoken for Four and a half years, probably. You were uh, episode forty-three of the Marketing Book Podcast, and last week I published episode two eighty-one. So you wow. were—you were an early Congratulations. Su- Thanks. Well, there's nothing else to do. So, uh, <laughs> but you were an early supporter, and I appreciate it. And I really in- enjoyed your uh, book, Youth Nation. That was uh, around November of 2015 that I that I published that. But for folks that haven't listened to that episode or uh, aren't familiar with you, tell us. Matt Britton, who are you and what do you
0: do? So, um, I'm an entrepreneur and a consumer trend expert. Uh, I spent the majority of my career in the advertising industry. Um, I built up a marketing services firm called MRY, which was really, um, help, help brands target it. the new generation, the millennial generation, as well as leverage new tools and tactics like social media and word of mouth marketing, uh, working with some of the biggest brands in the world, um. Most more recently, I've been running a software company called Suzy, which is a market research software tool. Which is a company that was originally incubated within my agency, MRY. Um, I'm also a published author of a best-selling book called Youth Nation, and I do public speaking around the world um, every year about the impact of the new consumer on the future of business, culture, and society at large.
1: So you've probably been getting a lot of questions about where things are going.
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Anything for a couple of reasons. A, because, you know, I've spent my career trying to predict and decode the future for businesses based upon these new and emerging consumer trends. And second of all, we have a really powerful research tool called Suzy, which allows brands to instantly tap into what consumers are thinking and feeling at any given time. So those two things combined, you know, have made me, um, you know, a, I think, pivotal resource for a lot of companies that are really trying to put their finger on the pulse of the consumer in these crazy times.
1: So my sense is that you're probably even busier (laughs) answering questions the last 10 weeks. Well, I appreciate you making time for the uh, Marketing Book Podcast listeners. And I have to say, uh, about a month ago, I saw you uh, make a social media post, and it just blew me away. And what it was, was like the 10 or so questions that you're getting over and over again you know most frequently in all these virtual keynotes and and other things from all the executives you're talking to yeah and i, I I wanted to know the answer because you put the questions, and I was wondering if I could ask you,
0: uh, you a sure few am. of those. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. Well, let's see. Let me pick one here. Let say. Let me Let me, Let me. me give you full props here. You said, over the past four weeks, I've delivered dozens of virtual keynotes and webinars for thousands of executives. But yep. what was a distillation of the most pressing unanswered questions about the impact of the crisis on the business world? Actually, let me ask you, what is probably the most frequent question or most urgent question you are getting?
0: Um, I'd say that a couple that, that come up more often than not, um, the future of, of the office and remote working Uh is definitely up there. The future of education and remote learning is one that pops up a lot. And the future of cities and urbanization is probably the third, Mm uh, that I I most often get.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) consistent with this, you said, will companies learn they are more productive with the distributed workforce? What do you think, and what do you think is going to happen to the traditional, uh, well, to the office um, scenario that up until about two and a half months ago we had? I mean, and you're talking to a guy who had an office; it's now sitting empty. <laughs> everybody left, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to let that lease go. Small company, but um, right. We're, we're, we don't. Nobody has a crystal ball, but uh, you might be able to see one a little bit better. What, what do you think is going to happen?
0: So um, I think that the answer isn't that we're going to go back to offices as normal pre-crisis. I also do not think the answer is going to be that offices are dead. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think that the social norms and expectations of employees to come in every single day from 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 are definitely going to go away. I think it's going to be much more acceptable for people to work from home. And I think in that regard, employees will probably invest more in work from home setups so they can be much more efficient. I think certain departments of companies, uh, whether it be uh, you know maybe the, the financial function within an organization or perhaps the software development or technology function of an organization, might find it a lot easier to go more often remote than not, where other functions, whether it's people who are on the creative side of things or sales and marketing, probably will find that they still need that collaboration in order to create serendipity to to bring new ideas and and innovation to the table. I think one thing that people often forget in terms of the power and benefit of an office is that so much happens that isn't scheduled everything in a remote working environment is scheduled. You're scheduling a call to talk to somebody with a very specific um, output on why you're scheduling that call, where the reality is that many of the great ideas, innovations and powerful thinking actually happen when you run into somebody at the water cooler, or you pop into a meeting that maybe you weren't invited to, or you come into a meeting early uh, in somebody's office and the previous ones still ending and you're coming up with ideas and those sorts of things you really can't put a price on. And those are the things that are so easily forgotten by people who say we don't need offices anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Th- well, my sense was that uh, I didn't know what was ahead and the lease was about up for another year and I just said, i ah, let it go after all these years. And I, I have a feeling that if I need more space, which I would like to get in the future, but maybe not, maybe a place where we can meet, but not where everyone's necessarily going to be working. Right. I think there's going to be plenty of places uh, like that. And I, it's like, I
0: still want to have local employees
1: <laughs> so that we can all get together. Uh, yeah. I
0: think it's important. I mean, if you think about your business career, at least mine, like the people I have the best relationships with are people who I've met in person.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: um, the people who I trust the most and whether they work for my company or they used to, or their former clients that I've spent time with, those are the people who I lean into the most. And the people who I've never met, who I do business with, I can't say I have nearly as close a relationship with.
1: Yeah. And there was a, an author on the show recently named Nick Morgan, who wrote a book called, can you hear me about, um, virtual communication? And he, he talked about how it's just not as good <laughs> as, as in person. Sorry to spoil it for everyone right. who was waiting Absolutely. for a big reveal at the end of the book. But it. But he talks about how if you can at least get together with people, at some point, the relationships are always stronger. Um, the, the virtual ones are always more um, fragile, basically.
0: Yep, without a doubt.
1: So, well, let me ask you another question. I, I see pictures of you giving speeches all the time. Yep. Um and so to the listener, he's not making this up about being a keynoteer. <laughs> and uh what do you think about live events and um what what how do you think that's going to I don't I, I guess my sense is that they're not going to go they're never going to go away.
0: Of course. But how not. do you
1: think that's going to how do you think it's going to unfold?
0: Well, I mean, first and foremost, those who say that Live events are going to go away. I think really start to then unpack why humans exist. <laughs> um, you know, the, the reason that we work hard in our careers is that we can experience things, so we can travel, so we can go to events, so we can have experiences that move us emotionally. Um, yeah. If live events didn't matter to begin with, then why do people go to NFL games when they can watch them in their home in mm-hmm. high def? Right? They How do you live music? It? Or live music its a perfect example. You can go on YouTube and see any performer. Why do people wait in lines and spend money to do that? And it's because when you're there in person with the artist, you feel a sense of connection, not only with the artist, but everyone else who is there. And that connection cannot be replaced by you sitting in front of your iPad on YouTube in your bedroom, right? So- I think there are some inhibitors of live events that are obviously based upon the health crisis that we're going through. But hopefully with the right scientific advancements and eventually a vaccine, people will feel comfortable again going into uh, crowds of people. And when they do, I think that live events will make a full comeback. Now, I think the one exception to this is going to be the live corporate events, because that's incredibly expensive, and then it becomes an ROI issue. So if you look at big events, whether it's the Consumer Electronics Show, um, or you know, maybe even South by Southwest, or you name the big conference, where the Salesforce Dreamforce event, where you have hundreds of thousands of people show up at an event, that's incredibly expensive for the for the attendees on behalf of the company and you know i think you're going to see a lot of ceos cmos cfos start to reevaluate those uh, event based investments and say, well, is this really the best way for us to drive new business and network? And I think for some of them, the answer will be yes, and for others, no, and they will start doing more webinars and virtual events and things like that. So I think this will have an impact on the B2B space because people there aren't necessarily going to be emotionally moved and the experience life. They're going to drive business, or at least that's why the companies are making the investment. So I think there's you can almost look at it through two different lenses.
1: Yeah, what do you think uh- – this is going to have an. Do you think it's going to have an impact on uh, sales and the sales process? Because I uh, was just reading a book uh, this week about uh, called um, Selling in Place, <laughs> about this new uh, uh, new world for some salespeople, and they were talking yep. about how you know a lot of sales travel and time was wasted when they really could have been on the phone at least initially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can speak to that first and foremost. Um, I was just having this conversation the other day. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've flown to Seattle or San Francisco for one one-hour meeting. And that's essentially two days out of my schedule between the travel time, et cetera, um, the jet lag, the cost, you know, the, um, the physical toll of travel, et cetera. So I'm definitely going to rethink those meetings in person, um, and I'm going to have our sales team rethink those meetings But there's some instances where you really can't replace those live interactions. Um, I think So I think that it's not going to be that salespeople aren't going to see the value of the in-person meetings. But I do think the success of maybe remote selling that salespeople have experienced during the crisis will make them rethink, uh, do I really need to jump on that airplane?
1: Yeah, it seems like if they get a few sales under their belt by using, let's say, Zoom, they start to realize, oh, you know what?
0: uh (laughs) maybe i didn't here's the difference though you can sell somebody over zoom and maybe they'll do business with you and that's fine but i think they're far less likely to become a champion of yours to help you spread within their organization and for them to become an advocate of your product or service to others if you've never met them in person, if you've never took them out for a drink or for dinner. That's where you transcend the relationship from being just a customer to being a friend and a partner. And those are the relationships, the 20, 10% of your best relationships are the ones that are really going to move your career forward. Yeah, absolutely.
1: What I'm thinking of, and not really articulating very well, is this notion of feeling like you have to go meet him in the beginning. In other words seems like there's a little more of a sales process you can go through initially to make sure that you, in fact, can help these customers. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: And then work your way up to... Um,
0: uh, yeah, lower funnel. It's more important lower in the funnel yes. to maybe move with somebody in earlier. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter uh, was a senior in college. She came home for spring break and they sent an email and said, don't come back. And uh, sorry, but we can't do graduation either. So she finished up here at the house and... I think, you know, and she was very upset. She went to a small school, and there was a lot of tradition, and she was really looking forward to the, the, the last two months there. I'm sure. Yeah, but she um, – but I think about these people who are maybe like one year behind her, and that's much worse because they don't even know in certain instances at this point if they're going back in the fall. And I'm fascinated by all these articles I'm reading about families who are thinking, well, now, wait a minute we're not going to pay $50,000 uh, 100% yeah uh, for you to sit in front of a a computer and so there's a another New York uh resident Scott Galloway who has yep. uh, you probably know him I know Scott uh, yeah he's got a new podcast and yeah brilliant I love reading his uh his content and you know he's been talking about how we may be upon the mother of all gap years <laughs> so right. it has has me wondering you know, healthcare and education may be two of the industries that are going to be the most seemingly disrupted. What do you think is what do you see on the horizon related to you know higher education?
0: Yeah, so I think there's many reasons why young people decide to go to college. Um first and foremost, it is the sort of external validation of your credentials. So people who go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, you know, they are more in demand by employers in many industries, not all industries, but many industries. um, You know, certainly if you go to Harvard Law School, it's much easier for you to get a, you know, get on the path to become partner at a top law firm than if you go to a lesser school. Right. So that still matters. Yeah. And those that can achieve those certifications are going to do it because it's going to differentiate them from everybody else. There are some that go to college not for that. They'll go to a second or third tier school because it's almost like a rite of passage, right? They they want to have those four incredible years of college before they start the real world. And for those people, if the certification doesn't matter and they're not getting that experience that is associated with the rite of passage, they're going to have to rethink it, especially if they're going to be getting into debt by going to college. Because the key about co- higher education right now, really the key driver is is college debt and student loans. And there's over $2 trillion of student loan debt in the U.S. right now. And many people who are getting into debt actually find that when they get out of college, it actually disables them from doing what they went to college for to begin with, which is to follow their dreams, right? Instead of following their dreams in the career that they're passionate about, they're taking the highest paying job because they have debt to pay back. So I, I don't blame... Any parent from hesitating to pay that type of money for a, a virtual experience, especially if they're not at a top tier school where you're going to have a credential coming out of it, that's truly going to differentiate you.
1: Hmm. Yes. And uh, it seems like this is about the time when families put down money for the, I don't know, maybe the yep. first half of the tuition. And yep. it, it just seems like there's going to be some real disruption in the cash flow <laughs> of a lot Absolutely. of universities coming yep, up. Yeah, as
0: well as private schools in the K twelve sector, which are you know, really big and yeah. in major markets. So I think, you know, there's gonna be and there's certainly room for, you know, disruption in that space. I mean, I think for younger kids though you know, they need to be in school. They need to be around other kids. They need to be interacting. Yes. Um, you know, I have two kids and, you know, th- they've enjoyed the, you know, not having to go to school, but they also miss the social interaction. And, you know, especially when you're in the, those pivotal ages of say like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, where you're really yeah. identifying who you are socially and you're, you're learning about the type of human that you are. You do that by looking at yourself through the lens of other people. And you can't do that through a computer screen. So I think that's incredibly important, especially for young, formative um, kids to have to go to school. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. College is a different thing, though, because it is an optional thing. And by the time you're 18, you're not going as much for social formation, maybe you know social experience, social transformation. Um, but many people are successful that never went to college or maybe only went to college for a year. So I think that it becomes a different uh, decision set, for sure, when you're talking about higher education.
1: Yes. So uh, they're, here in Virginia, they've been um, – probably like a lot of U.S. states, they've been you know having – what do they call it? Phased opening where uh-huh. certain uh, establishments can be open but under certain restrictions. And uh, the restaurants, I think, can only have a certain number of, or certain only use a certain percentage of their original – floor space inside. And it made me wonder if we're going to suddenly see this explosion of alfresco dining (laughs) throughout the world, you know, people. Yeah. I mean,
0: this summer you will, for sure.
1: Yeah. One of the questions that you seen, you mentioned you've been getting is do you think this is going to, um, this whole pandemic is going to reverse what you say is a 50 year trend of more people consuming food away from home?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, well, kind of a reset, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually already has started that. I mean, you have three quarters of consumers say that they're cooking significantly more at home than they have prior and half of them feel like they're more confident in the kitchen now. And whether it's people figuring out how to make their own coffee that they love for a fraction of the price than going to Starbucks every day <laughs> um, or people learning how to make their own bread or make their own pizza versus ordering in and realizing that they can, you know, eat foods that they love, but eat much healthier versions of those foods. Um, You are definitely going to find people um, eating at home more. I believe that the sector that's going to be impacted the most is takeout. I think that it's going to kind of be a barbell where people are going to say, if I'm going to stay at home, I'm going to cook, but I actually want to go out to restaurants socially. And I think, you know, so I think the at-home cooking is going to replace people ordering in Versus people um, going to restaurants. I still think I think restaurants will bounce back fully, and because uh, and that's basically the way I look at the whole food industry evolving.
1: Oh, interesting. Also, I wonder if a lot of people think of takeout as what they had to do <laughs> during the uh, during the the pandemic. But I, I could see what you're saying. It's probably right, right. more so, by so people.
0: Takeout take had a big boom now because you can't go to a restaurant, yeah. right? But if you think about in a post COVID world. If, if someone knows how to cook and they're competent in the kitchen, they're far less likely to order in because they can make it themselves, right? And yet, yet again, they, they can't replicate that experience at home that you get at a restaurant, which is largely a social activity. And that part, I do think, will come roaring back.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. You mentioned the word barbell. I've got to ask. Uh, you mentioned the barbell economy on these questions, um, and it's a sensitive subject, and one we've been hearing a lot Now more, more than, than ever, right? Yeah, yeah, you talk I about the trend of-
0: this on June 2nd.
1: What's that? Yeah, wealth disparity. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were recording this on June 2nd. The, do you think that this is going to accelerate the the
0: wealth disparity
1: in, um, at least in the United States?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that wealth disparity is hitting a, a tipping point in America. Um, it first started rather innocently by- you know, technology and the disintermediation that technology brought to so many industries. Um, And then over time, as technology continued to create a world of the haves and have-nots and push so much wealth to the coast, uh, which happened at the same time that many uh, industries that uh, gave people jobs and opportunity in middle America are now offshored um, and outsourced. You're seeing a hollowing out of America, a hollowing out of the middle class. Um, and the rich, you know, Jeff Bezos of the world um, are getting wealthier and the poor people who don't have opportunity um, are, are finding themselves in much more despair. And it's creating a lot of social unrest and social issues, and we're seeing that obviously play out uh, with racial overtones right now um, in the U.S. To a very scary situation that we're in right now. Mm. Um, so, do I think that this crisis absolutely, um, you know, even before we saw these these protests happen um, in the month of June and late May, you know, in the months of March and April when the crisis first started to hit, you the uh, the uh, the majority of the layoffs that were happening were happening to people who were in the bottom 30% of the income bracket. Mm -hmm. And those were the people who were far more likely to be living paycheck to paycheck. And I think that you're going to see that come out as, because what's happening now is many industries that relied on lower income or blue collar workers have been forced to now adopt technology to run their business in a remote environment. And if they have the right profit margins through that, they're just not going to go back to where they were prior, and which means that the jobs that were lost may never come back. And so that's just going to be more erosion um, for people who are already struggling.
1: Yeah. So one question I have to ask Matt Britton is <laughs> about youth and youth culture yeah what what do you think this is going to – the
0: impact this is going to have on um, youth culture So that's a great question. I think that young people going through this is going to just like really everybody going through this yeah. but you know younger people who have a whole life ahead of them and you know they're going to be around you know for forty, 50 years from now are going to never forget this. And it's going to always impact the way they look at the world, whether it's the way they look at their job security, whether it's the way they look at um, the way they prioritize their health and wellness, um, and whether it's the way they look at really having a future that they're confident in. Because essentially what's happened with young people is the rug has been pulled out of their world and something that they never thought could occur. And the things that they probably took for granted every day are now no longer even accessible to them. So I think it's going to change the way that brands need to communicate uh, with individuals. And it's going to just shape the future of industries uh, you know, for decades to come. C- certain industries um, were going to go out of business maybe 10 years from now, and this has become an accelerant. And now maybe they'll go out of business one to two years from now. And the reverse will happen as well, where new technologies um, or new consumer habits will emerge and they will explode. I mean, if you look at um, e-commerce, for example, there's been more growth in e-commerce. It's now up, to, I think, 28% of all commerce in the last two months than there was the last 10 years prior. So that just shows you how quick things are changing as a result of this.
1: Yeah. And just to add to that, not, not to make a political statement, but you know, the the rug has been pulled from the young people. And then I don't know how they're going to be expected to pay for all these obligations, at least in the United Absolutely. States. Oh man. I, yeah. They're really, uh,
0: It could depress the economy for decades and decades from now. You know, this prosperity of America, um, you know, it has a a lot of hurdles ahead of it. You know, right now, even before going into this, there are very few industries in America that were really driving GDP growth. It was really just technology. If you take away Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Netflix from the economy, the growth, it's a dramatically different growth story. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the auto industry, the manufacturing industry, farming, like so many industries were, you know, they were really struggling uh, based upon us really relying on, you know, other countries for basic supplies that humans need to live day to day. And we saw that play out with the lack of ability to get personal protective uh, equipment when this all hit. We couldn't get it right away because we relied on the countries to make it. We couldn't even make masks on our own. So I think that, you know, that really shows where this country has gone to and how hard it's going to be to climb up uh climb out of this in a world where we have just growing and growing debt that we're taking on to to help us dig out
1: yeah including all the the percentage of the federal budget that is just mandated in other words uh, and largely to older people you know
0: the Medicare and
1: the social Security and
0: Entitle- yeah the entitlement yeah I mean it's entitlement it's hard because what happens when you throw that away it's you know, it's, it's a tough situation and, you know, national powers are cyclical for a reason, right? There's, <laughs> there's usually not a superpower that lasts forever. Uh, they go through cycles and emerging markets, whether it be Brazil or India, you know, the, the, those are countries that don't have the legacy infrastructure that if they can get the right industries, they can come out of this and maybe be a superpower one day. you just never know. And, yeah. you know, obviously, as an American citizen, I want nothing more for America to prosper um, and really be a global leader. But right now we've gone in such a direction that we have our work cut out for us.
1: Yep. And I think everything's our, everything is happening so much faster than people realize uh, things can happen. What I now mean. more
0: than ever. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Particularly things getting bad. Um one last question. Uh, it was one of the ones that you, you um, were getting is, what sectors and companies do you think will be permanently emboldened?
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'll just throw some out there. I think well, I mean, Jeff Bezos deliver- and Amazon comes yeah. to mind. But- well, Amazon, obviously, that's just the answer before this. <laughs> he was so already
1: in- emboldened, yes.
0: And after that. <laughs> um, I think you're going to see um, a dramatic uh, – I think you're going to see definitely see – especially with Gen Xers and baby boomers, them leave the cities. I I think cities will emerge, but I think older consumers who aren't there because they want to go to bars and they want to meet people, they're there because they want to be near the theaters and the restaurants and the the culture. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see them leaving Um, or because there's good private schools or whatever mate you're going to see wealthy uh, gen Xers and boomers leave the city and that's going to drive uh, a boom to the auto industry because many people in cities didn't think they need two cars now all of a sudden they're going to i think suburban real estate will definitely make a comeback oh. um as a result of this for sure um and that's going to come at the expense of something like Uber at the beginning. But I do think, you know, platforms like Uber will um, remain strong. Grocery delivery is a huge um, industry that's, that's really taken off um, as a result of this because, um, you know, people couldn't go to uh, grocery stores and they found it a lot safer to order groceries online. It's something they'd never done prior. And I don't think it's going to go away once you, you find it to be effective and reliable. Why would you stop ordering groceries online, right? So that's a massive industry that's going to be impacted almost directly. Obviously, virtual communications—what um, companies like Zoom um, and you know Google and, and Microsoft that have virtual communication tools are going to obviously get a lot of growth coming out of this, as well as electronics companies and home furnishing companies as people spend the time sp- start to spend more of their time at home. And because of it, they're going to invest more, um, you know, in their home, in their home technology and home equipment so they can basically live, work and play at home. Um, and that's going to come at the expense of obviously companies in the commercial office space industry, etc. Other industries like um, healthcare are going to be um, accelerated through areas like telemedicine, more people are going to be comfortable seeing a doctor online and having subscription medications, um, prescription medications shipped to them, and things of that nature. So I think you're going to really see um, an, an increase of growth in growth in that sector as well.
1: Interesting, interesting. And uh- when you talk about the uh, grocery delivery, it reminds me of, you know, all those um, laws that came about, I don't know, some years ago where you had to install uh, like wheelchair ramps and things like that. And people started using those more than the steps. <laughs> they, they liked them. They liked them. And they, right. you know, they were brought in right. for another reason. But they – so it's like the grocery stores, you know, the delivery. <laughs> so, Matt, what are you doing to keep yourself entertained? Other than
0: staying busy running all your companies. Um, I mean, I spend time with my kids. But, you know,
1: Your kids are younger than 18?
0: Yes, yes. They're 12 and 14. So, oh, okay. spending time with my kids, um, trying to do as much writing and thinking as I can in terms of where things are headed and doing great conversations like this. Trying to stay active as much as possible and obviously fueling my Netflix addiction as well. <laughs> so, really, I'll do both
1: what what have you what what have you been watching what do you like on netflix um
0: i mean i've watched so i mean first of all the the best thing i've watched since the quarantine hit was not even on netflix it was the michael jordan 10-part documentary oh yeah yeah which as a sports fan um i thought was tremendous um but I've watched everything from Ozark, which I thought is a fascinating show, to a show like Billions, which I where I think the writing is just, you know, Netflix is almost just a verb for streaming at this point. Yeah, so right. I don't even know what channel a lot of these shows are on. I just like watching them. So, yes. Um, and it's a good way just to escape all the madness of well, what's happening right now.
1: Absolutely. I tell you what, I have turned off the news completely. No, no television news at all, Uh, and I love watching the some of these shows. And you know, they say this is the golden age of television, despite what's come before. This is the best uh, television we've ever had. Last question: You mentioned sports. You're an Eagles fan, is that right? That's right. Now, are you from Philadelphia?
0: Yes, I am from Philadelphia originally.
1: Okay, so I've interviewed uh, something about all these Eagles fans that are getting on <laughs> authors in quarantine, hey, getting, hey. getting cocktails. And uh, my um, my wife grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, I have to tell the funny story. I've mentioned it before, but my f- late father in law got into his nineties. You know, he was an Eagles fan. You know, and he just always watched the Eagles, even after the of Virginia, after he uh, they retired. And uh, I always thought, you know. That guy, he just watched him forever, and he must have been thinking, come on, guys, just once before I die. <laughs> yep. he, he ends up passing away a few years ago in his 90s during the summer. That season, they win the Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> so I'm well, thinking
0: hopefully, maybe hopefully he's he, watching down. What's that? Hopefully he's watching down from another place. Well,
1: I think he was probably orchestrating it from, uh, <laughs> from up above
0: either or right yeah
1: yeah so uh to all those um eagles fans you know i guess he yep, would say, I, I You're was, welcome. i'm
0: proud enough to have been there and it was it was amazing
1: oh and you were there at the at the super Bowl? i was there
0: with my son yeah it was a, a a memory of a lifetime
1: oh i can only imagine well listen matt i really appreciate the opportunity to, to catch up with you do you have any other uh books in the future
0: uh not right now i'm really just focused on our growing business and trying to keep my writing more to short form writing but maybe one day in the future for sure
1: Okay. Well, if you do, I know this guy and he interviews authors of new marketing and sales books. <laughs> I think I can get you in. But listen, I really appreciate you uh, stopping by the the Marketing Book Podcast for this uh, special episode of Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope you and your family and all the folks you are in the world uh, continue to stay safe.
0: Likewise. You as well. Thank you so much for having me and looking forward to uh, continuing to listen to uh, all the stuff that you put out there. It's great.